This is the Nielsen Norman Group UX Podcast. I'm Sunita Tenkala. As many of you know, extended reality, or XR, is an umbrella term that encompasses virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality. These technologies essentially blend the digital and physical worlds, offering different levels of immersion and interaction with digital content. Now, while these technologies have certainly advanced technically, there's still much to learn about maximizing their capabilities. I had a really great conversation with Jan Ploss, professor and founding director of the Create Consortium and co-director of the Educational Communication and Technology Program at New York University. He discusses where XR can have a large impact in learning environments. He further talks about the importance of understanding affordances with each immersive technology and shares examples of successful applications in the context of learning and education, and further discusses the differences of building out user experiences of 3D versus 2D spaces. You all are truly in for a treat. Enjoy. Fun fact for those who are joining, uh, Jan was actually my UX research methods professor uh, while I was getting my master's at NYU. Yeah. Now, aside from teaching, um, you have so many other responsibilities, some including leading two different labs, um, one being the Create Lab um, and co-directing the um, Games for Learning, Games for Learning Institute with, with Ken Perlin. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and what are some of the current research that you're most focused on recently? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Very exciting. My background is, I, I'm only bringing this up because I get this question a lot. Do I have to study something to then do whatever I study directly? And my background wasn't at all like that. I studied out with maths mm -hmm. and physics education and thought I was going to be a teacher and then went into computer science and thought I was going to contribute there. But I really enjoyed dealing with people and, and looking at how people benefited from using computers for all different kinds of things, uh, but of course, especially learning. And so that has always been my guiding question. How can we use computers to augment what people do and to enhance what we do and to help us learn better, help us do things better? Um, and for that, of course, you have to design the technology in a way so that it can do that, right? Just because I design something doesn't mean it's working as you know, in your line of work. Right. <laughs> um, so we need to think about the user experience. And um, so I've been doing that for multimedia initially and then games for learning and most recently XR for learning. And um, the question has always been the same. How do we design those media to be effective for learning, uh, creating, collaborating, etc.? So one of the things you just mentioned was XR for learning. And um, that is uh, a really booming area right now before we get into the weeds and hear about some of the work that you're doing in that space i wanted to start off with some of the basics what is xr and i know that's a big question <laughs> but what is xr yeah no it's it's an important question because we use it so casually and uh, um, i think putting a definition behind the terms is, is always useful xr simply means extended reality and it's a combination or mix of a number of different technologies that we currently already have available as consumer devices that actually differ quite significantly. And one of them is augmented reality, 
that's when I use computer uh, generated images, sounds, other things uh, that I place into the real world. So I wear some goggles and when I look at you, I might see something about you or I might, you know, whatever it is that the computer would generate about a person, about a space. Um, if I look at a power plant, it might explain to me how it works, right? Whatever there might be um, of interest to me, it augments the real world with uh, computer-generated, um, you know, items, visual sounds, etc. Virtual, uh, virtual reality, on the other hand, completely immerses you into that space. So the world is ceases to be there around you. We sometimes forget that the world is around us, which is what we call immersion or sense of presence in VR. And so it's kind of this world where you know, if you've seen Ready Player One, um, you know, everything is is computer generated. And then, mm -hmm. of course, there are some people in there with their avatars, if it's a collaborative system, uh, who you can interact with. And then there's mixed reality. That's when we add computational objects that are smart objects. So you can actually touch them. You can do things with them. That becomes mixed reality because now I'm adding actual objects. Well, augmented reality just puts visuals in the real world. Augment, a mixed reality would also have objects that they can touch and that the system is aware of. If I lift the cube, it knows, or the, the, the mug, it knows where that mug is. And mm -hmm. what it does. Your research has focused a lot on the context of learning. And what specifically got you interested in XR for learning? Yeah, it, it's kind of a... a technology that that has frankly had many starts right xr vr is certainly not new um it's been studied for 40 years mm -hmm. um but it's made or it's trying to make a comeback where it's finally going mainstream we have devices that are um, consumer type devices and so it brings together a number of really interesting things in fact since i'm on this show uh, let me speak in these terms. It brings together what Donald Norman wrote about the design of everyday things, right? The idea of what are affordances and how do you um, use affordances and, and the cognitive uh, uh, processing of information as a lens, right? From, from that perspective. Um, then it brings together emotional design, which is um, kind of taking almost the opposite perspective. Now it's the emotional world that you inhabit or that inhabits you. Mm -hmm and how we feel about the world around us and how that guides our actions. And then a little bit of invisible computer, right? When all of the computing things go away and you feel like you are in a world that you believe in, right? You're immersed in it. You experience it almost like the real world. And in some cases, we will experience it like the real world. Um, and the fact that there is a computer behind it is actually not of all concern anymore, which is very different from what we're doing, right? We, we are very well aware of the fact that this is all computer mediated. Um, and that fascinates me because that opens up opportunities for learning that are that are quite remarkable. Um, where we have been, you know, I, we have many ideas of what good learning should look like, and we've always been limited by by screens, by keyboards, by mice mm. in implementing those. Yeah. Um, why Why do you feel like it's specifically? Why do you feel like it's? In what ways do you see it being a promising tool in educational experiences? Yeah. I mean. First of all, I, I want to say that uh, I would not claim that it is the only promising tool, right? Um, so, <laughs> so any new medium will have, or any medium that we use for learning will have capabilities that other media don't have and the other way around, right? So mm -hmm. it's back to affordances. What are the affordances of virtual reality for learning? And um, one that I am especially interested in, many, many researchers in this area, is that spatial arrangement of information that you find very difficult on the screen. You can do it. There's screen-based uh, virtual reality. It's not immersive. It's on the screen. 
it's 3D, but you're not in it. So what if I can be in a 3D world? What if I can, we're, we're building, for instance, or have built simulations where you explore uh, middle school biology, you build your own cell, plant cell, animal cell, prokaryotic cell. What if you can be there and, and actually grab that organelle and construct the cell? What if I can be in the solar system and I can, you know, go and stand on the moon and see what things look like from the moon? I mean, that is a completely different uh, type of learning uh, that takes a, a advantage of the spatial relations, that takes advantage of the immersion and the sense of presence that emerges from that. It takes advantage of collaboration and, of course, of emotional design, uh, which is one of our research areas, emotional design for learning, to induce the kind of emotions that are conducive to learning. Um, and so it's, it's a very unique medium to bring all of this together. And now I'm talking about virtual reality. Augmented reality actually has many other promises. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like these kinds of simulations or these experiences give learners an opportunity to experience a higher degree of empathy that's difficult, you know, from written materials and lectures even. I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, maybe examples of successful XR-based educational experiences that either, you know, your lab is currently working on or created or you've come across. And why, and why you think they have been successful or what makes them successful? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let me start with one that we didn't create. So it was good to, um, to realize there are many, many talented people yeah. to create mm -hmm. amazing things. Um, and this one is called On the Morning You Wake. Um, you may remember the um, scare when Hawaii thought there was an inbound ballistic missile. And uh, mm -hmm. 38 minutes, they thought that was real and their world would come to an end. And there's a very amazing group of, uh, uh, well, really VR filmmakers uh, who got together, interviewed people and created um, a virtual reality experience uh, in which you can, well, obviously not quite experience that situation, but, but experience how people uh, who were there experienced it and, and uh, followed them. And that was one of the most moving experiences I've yeah. had to be in this immersed uh, environment um, you know, hearing about from eyewitnesses what that felt like. Um, and we did some research on that, and it very clearly showed that virtual reality was a, a very, you know, much, we compared it to screens, to, to um, tablet-based viewing of the same uh, or of a version of this documentary. And uh, so it was, it showed very clearly how virtual reality can make that a much stronger emotional experience. So that was fantastic. On the morning you wake, you should definitely uh, look that yeah. up. And then... That was more an, an experience um, rather than an interactive participation. And as such, it was very, very powerful. And so that would help with uh, learning approaches like uh, experiential learning, where you reflect after mm. doing, right? So that's a, that's a very uh, excellent example for that. We're doing interactive um, environments as well, where you can collaborate with others. And we um, had funding from uh, Verizon uh, Social Responsibility, and they funded a number of projects uh, to look at pushing the edge of uh, immersive learning and XR. And um, so there are um, projects like um, Visual Science, uh, where they um, essentially immerse you into uh, the cosmos and, and fast forward certain events that would take millions of years and you can watch them. Uh, very amazing. Um, there's another one, Mapper's Delight, where you can learn about rap music around the globe. 
um, mm. that is, and the, the rap music that you never heard of because almost every country in the world seems to have uh, people who make that kind of music and they mm. catalog that and make that available. Um, there's another one called Unsung, which tells uh, untold stories of singers of color. And so you can learn about them and, and uh, uh, really realize how, you know, broad the spectrum of singers is and, and different types of music. Um, and then ours, um, which we, we designed as part of this initiative, it was a competition that they put out a while ago, um, is called Looking Inside Cells. And so in Looking Inside mm -hmm. Cells, you can uh, create your own cell uh, based on the organelles. And you need to pick the organelles. You get all different kinds of organelles that may not relate to your cell. And you need to pick out which ones uh, um, are part, let's say, of a plant cell. And then you, you arrange those. And then... Once you've completed that, you learn about um, mitosis, but instead of just watching it or in a textbook, you would just have in the different phases of mitosis, you would, you know, see um, or read about it. Here you actually do it. You help um, duplicate the organelles in a cell and then you help um, gr uh, have them grow and then you help split the cell. So you are actively involved in that and that kind of, and you can do that collaboratively with, with others. And so that kind of an experience is really where I think um, virtual reality can provide something you couldn't do in a classroom. Because when my kids studied uh, mm -hmm. cell biology, they were doing little clay uh, models of that. And as fun as mm -hmm. that was, I think VR might have a few more things to offer. Yeah. So um, I'm curious with specifically that uh, experience that you created or the lab had created. Um, were you able to test with uh, test the simulation with um, students? Absolutely. That's what we do. For those who are part of the research space in virtual reality and learning, um, those people will be aware of the fact that the, like with almost every other medium that we use for learning, the research evidence that virtual reality is effective for learning is actually not as clear as one would think. And the reason for that is that what one person means by virtual reality is very different from what another person means by it. And, mm. and so we get a lot of results where there's one paper um, by my um, friend and colleague, Richard Mayer and, and uh, Jocelyn mm -hmm. Perong, um that shows that virtual reality in their study wasn't even as good as a, a PowerPoint slideshow. So you learned more from the PowerPoints mm. and you had lower cognitive load. That's usually the paper that I start with when I talk about uh, virtual reality and learning, um, because it raises the question, how can that be? And the answer is, well, you need to take affordances of virtual reality during learning when you design, and you need to design your outcome measures in a way, how do we test what you know, in a way that it actually benefits uh, learners who were in VR, you know, have something to show for. So if it's only um, naming uh, um, the organelles of a cell, I can learn that from a slide, right? But if it's about spatial arrangement of those, then that's something that I now know that uh, when I was in the virtual reality environment. and so. Um, that is exactly the study we ran. We compared um, our virtual reality tool, building a cell and doing mitosis to a PowerPoint slideshow. And lo and behold, um, it is better to be in virtual reality for that. And there was more higher learning outcomes for that group. So um, that's the kind of research we, we sometimes do, media comparison. Um, but we're much more interested, and that's what we're doing right now, to ask, if I now use certain features in virtual reality to induce emotions that you know, put you in a positive state or a state of heightened mm. emotional arousal, would that um, result in better learning outcomes? And that's a new project we're running right now. And we're doing this actually 
right now, practically right now, um, where we use um, measures, biometric measures to measure your skin conductance and your heart rate variability mm. to get indications of your emotional state. And uh, we give you different stimuli. We, we show you, just like you say with that um, behavioral research, right? In our case, it would be more your emotional response to seeing certain mm. elements in virtual reality. Um, how can we use visual features, sound and haptic features to induce emotions is currently our question. And then we will mm. put that into this learning environment and see if that enhances learning outcomes. Wow, super interesting. Um, I do we have do we get a sneak peek into what you've learned so far? <laughs> well, um, we did a study actually a few years ago where we uh, built in the past games to train your cognitive skills, executive functions, which are some of the most important skills that guide our cognition mm -hmm. as well as our emotion regulation. Really, is responsible for everything. Um, um, inhibitory control, um, cognitive flexibility, working memory. And so we built games for that. And one is called All You Can ET. And there you have to feed aliens um, different drinks, either milkshake or cupcakes, and they change their minds all the time, which is how you uh, practice your, your cognitive flexibility. And we built a VR version of that where we um, had the aliens in VR. And instead of just coming down on the horizon, they were coming mm -hmm. toward you. And so they were getting bigger and bigger and until you fed them. And, um, and we ran a study where we used a very common um, user research uh, uh, method um, called Think Out Loud, Think Aloud Protocols mm -hmm. or Concurrent Verbal Protocols. And in that, we um, mm -hmm. just taught them to uh, um, verbalize what they were thinking about, but we didn't give them any specific instructions. And then later we looked at unsolicited utterances that related to their emotional state. And we found that um, in the virtual reality environment, there was a significantly higher emotional response to those aliens coming toward uh, the, the user. If you, if you would have seen it, you would understand why this is the first paper where actually was able to publish expletives in a paper because those were the kind of strong responses that people had to those aliens coming. And so that was our first indication um, how powerful uh, VR is uh, to, to induce emotions. And now we're systematically exploring that. Um, let's say we know that warm colors and round shapes induce positive emotions. So what if we use a warm a brighter background uh, color compared to a more mm. more dimmed, uh, less warm background color, right? So those are the kind of um, uh, conditions that we're currently looking at. What if we use particle effect uh, where there's sparkles around an object and compare that mm. to not having those? And I wish I could tell you, but we're actually in the middle of the experiment. And so I don't have the um, yeah. idea either. <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. Um, what I find really interesting though, is how what you're describing, you know, there's certain visual design elements that we know can exhibit or induce a positive um, emotion. So there are some, you know, user experience or visual design practices that we might apply in a, you know, traditional devices that we use in 2D spaces. Um, I'm, I'm curious when you're designing these spaces, these different XR experiences, do the same UX best practices follow? Or do you feel like there's certain things that are different? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think there is always some overlap in, you know, the, the kind of most basic um, user experience uh, design principles, like in terms of clarity of revealing functionality, um, in terms of clarity of, of 
guiding the learner what to do. Mm. Those kind of things, those usability um, uh, principles still apply, but how they implement it could be very different. Um, when you design for a screen to put some text to explain what's going on onto that screen is what we do all the time, right? Sometimes that's the fastest way to to um, help the learner, guide the learner. Um, in VR, we try to get rid of any text that's more than a couple of words because it just looks like mm. I am supposed to be in a virtual space and now there's a big, you know, I don't know, announcement in in, in text form, right? And that that breaks the whole um a sense of presence of me being in that space because we don't have big billboards floating around that says hey click me or go this way right um so there's there's some very very clear um differences in in vr xr uh use less text um but then there are others where coming back to making it explicit what you can do in this environment the world around us doesn't have labels everywhere um, to say, click me or, or take me or so. And so what you need to think about in virtual reality, if an object can actually be manipulated, which most of them should, because otherwise it would feel weird, um, then what does that mean? And how do you signal that to the user? So the whole signifier and the whole, um, you know, making the user aware of the affordances um, so that they know what to do in the environment has to be rethought. And that's an, a fascinating process, right? How do you guide the visual attention now that there's so much to see in this environment that they might miss on the one important thing that you want them to do? Um, or how do you do it that it's actually not up to you what you want them to do? They get to do whatever they want to do in a sandbox style uh, uh, environment, which is, of course, much harder to design. So it's it's fascinating how you need to develop a new language because we're still dealing with controllers. We're still dealing with some of the things that will go away. But as long as I have controllers and as long as, as I have a laser beam that I point at things and then I grab them by pushing a button, I still need to explain that. So we often run small training sessions where we built a custom tutorial to get you acquainted with how things work. Mm. Um, so you still know you are in a tutorial and you're learning about the environment and then you go into the environment and then all of that fades away rather than integrating all of those help features into the environment itself and thereby breaking the sense of presence. That's been working very well for us. And people sometimes go through the tutorial in a couple of minutes and then they're done. And if you do need a little more time, then you just spend more time in that tutorial. Um, eventually that will go away, right? We're doing a lot yeah. of things now just because it's new for people to interact in such a world um, and we'll get used to it. And especially when we have full finger control, which is already you know available in some of the more expensive systems, but um, where, where you just point at things or actually grab things. Then we deal with other interesting questions. Like if in virtual reality, I, I reach for my coffee mug and I try to pick it up, how do I make sure that actually feels like I'm picking up a mug, right? And so now we're back into mixed reality type questions. And we have a project here at NYU that um, we're, we're um, working on the proposal for where the question becomes, can we work with robotics people, for instance? So then we, when you mm -hmm. reach for something, that there is something right there where you, where you reached for it in the shape that you're expecting. Right. Lots to think about, yes. right? Um, lots more to explore as well. So I imagine there's a lot of novelty in how in in you know UX practices that we have, but there's also, like you mentioned in the beginning, um, there's a lot that is standard and still applies within these new contexts right. as well. Um, I had a question about accessibility and inclusivity. Mm -hmm. So 
as we know, it's a you know vital consideration when building XR experiences. What do you feel like, or what can we do to make sure accessibility and inclusivity are at the forefront of building these kind of immersive experiences? Yeah, we just ran a summer project on that where um, we looked at um, the various types of uh, or, or issues that come up with accessibility, right? And there's some very simple issue, which are simply access issues, um, who has access to these devices. And then there are um, ability-related issues, right? Which, which um, expression of abilities do I have or do I not have as a particular learner or, or user? And how should that be supported? And I think the first thing that I have to say with, with that is that it's a mindset of all of us, whether we believe that this is important. Because if I design a, a virtual environment, I could design a lot of accessibility features into it if I made that from the very beginning my goal. Uh, but often we don't. Often we say, oh, let's just put something together and then later we'll see what um, what we can do in terms of accessibility. And that retrofitting rarely works, right? You need to think about that from the beginning. Now, especially when it comes to um, uh, visual perception and uh, your sight, um, it is very difficult to create virtual reality environments where yeah. for people who uh, um, have problems in that regard. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to think about what that could look like. And there are very interesting um, uh, projects in the works where people uh, collect sounds, right? So what, what is, uh, for instance, the eclipse is coming in April 24, the next eclipse that we see in North America. Um, I have a colleague who's been collecting the sounds of animals during the eclipse so that um, people who can't see the, the actual eclipse can hear what does it sound like when the eclipse is happening. Animals are all of a sudden becoming quiet and then they all of a sudden start um, making noises, making sounds again. So there's, there's um, a lot that we can think about. And we have here at MOU, we have an accessibility lab, which is uh, specializing in those kind of uh, questions. And we've been working with them. And, um, and we're asking the question, so what can one do? Um, and, and guiding that question should be that we're not designing for others, right? Um, this is um, ability or disability is a spectrum on which we all are somewhere yeah. placed temporarily. And it, it could take one stumble and you all of a sudden have mobility issues, right? Or it could take other turns and all of a sudden you have other um, uh, experiences or conditions which place you elsewhere on the spectrum. So it's in a way we're designing for ourselves or yeah. possibly our future selves. And we need to keep that in mind. We're not designing for others. And, um, and virtual reality again has a lot of potential for that because we have the haptic sense in it. So, so strongly compared to other environments, we have auditory information in it. Um, and we have the visual information and there are very different input devices that we can use that are assistive devices that are already available. I 100% agree. And I, I agree with the point you make about it's a mindset and developing that kind of mindset. Also, it takes time and um, it takes time to invest. It, it takes investment in that kind of research to show the kind of impact that it can have yeah. as well. So it's great to see research labs like taking that effort, people like you also thinking about that right at the forefront as we're expanding these tools even further. So I wanted to kind of wrap up and ask you, for people who are interested in developing XR experiences, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think my, my 
primary advice is going back to, I think, how we started, which is to say, um, and that's the advice that I would give for any medium. If you think you want to design something for XR, for AR, for VR, for kind of this in-between uh, that we now see that, that allows both XR and uh, AR and VR experiences, think about the affordances of that technology and whether you really take advantage of that with what you think you want to design. And that means spatial. That means taking advantage of the sense of presence, including social presence when there are others. That means emotional design. That means high interactivity, high levels of interactivity. And um, or in some cases, the immersiveness alone might be enough, um, as in the, in the case for on the morning you wake. But think deeply about why this medium, because there are ex access issues. There are there are issues of you know it's not just cool. That cool will go away. So you need to think very deeply about why it should be an extended reality type of experience. And if you have a really good answer for that, then you should go ahead and do it. And um, I typically tell my students, don't focus on the technical side of things. Work with an engineer who, who knows how to build the system. Um, the blue sky thinking about what should learning really be like is something that often gets lost when we ask ourselves, what can I currently implement with the skills that I have? Because I'm the designer and the developer. And so we find it much better that you find someone who has that development skill and coding skill and can work in one of the environments, Unity, Unreal, WebXR. Um, uh, but, but what we're lacking, I think, still, like in any medium, in any learning environment, is the, the people who are thinking big and are coming up with new ideas grounded in the research. There is so much research available, but look at the research, uh, see what's already there, and then um, implement some of these ideas that we've always had, but um, that nobody could ever build. And that will be so much, uh, in terms of innovation, so, so much of a benefit to all of us um, when when people have this kind of blue sky thinking. So I think it's a super exciting world and, and anybody who embarks on that process will, I think, find it really rewarding. Um, we certainly have. My last question is, you have talked about some incredible research that you've been working on. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow that research? And learn more. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a website, create.nyu.edu. Um, you can see what projects we're currently doing. Um, we can Google Scholar provides all the articles that um, we have published on that. If you need access to any of them, you can email me um, to to get um, a PDF for those. Um, and we just got a contract to write a handbook uh, of learning in virtual reality uh, that um, which wow. Mayor Guido Markransky and I will be editing. So um, that will be coming out in MIT Press in 2025, probably. And we're very excited about that because that will uh, provide a research, just like the Handbook of Games for Learning that we did with MIT Press, provide a res resource for those who want to know what the research uh, state of the art currently is. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I could easily talk to you about this for another hour, <laughs> um, but I really, really appreciate you taking the time to um, talk all XR with us. Um, I've, I've learned so much in this conversation. Thank you. That was Jan Plus. Check out the show notes for links to anything we referenced so far. But also remember that we have thousands of articles, videos, and reports on our website about UX design, research strategy, and even UX careers. 
That website is www.nngroup.com. And if you enjoyed this show in particular, please follow or subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. The show is hosted and produced by me, Samita Tankala, and all video editing and post-production is by the Laramore Production Company. That's it for today's show. Until next time, and remember, keep it simple.